So good morning. Looking forward to being together once again as we wrap up this series, That's Life, where we've been looking at all sorts of things that come our way in life, whether they're great things that we want to grab hold of that are the essence of life or just the ordinary things that might not be our choice or our favorite thing, but we got to take them in stride because that's life. And it's been a lot of fun, just the dialogue around this over the last several weeks. To be honest, I can't complain about anything anymore because somebody's going to catch me and be like, hey, 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 that's life. So you spill something, that's life. Trip, this morning we were doing our sort of walk through the service. I sort of stumbled on the steps coming up the stairs. Hey, that's life. So it's sort of a new filter for everything now. So who knows? Be careful, it might take over. So in this series, we're looking at not so much the, the ordinary things, but the big things that come our way in life and how a relationship with God can change our perspective. So in week one, we looked at the reality, the inevitability that in this life, we all die. Death is a part of life. And we saw from Romans chapter five, how a relationship with God brings a new perspective, that we have reason for hope that you and I can overcome death. And then in week two, we looked at the reality that in this life, we all serve one master or another. And even though we're all born into this world, what the Bible says, a slave to sin with this bent to run away from God, with a relationship with him, we have the freedom to serve a new master. We saw that in Romans chapter 6. And then last week in Romans 7, we saw the inevitability that in this life, we're all governed by laws. Whether we like it or not, laws apply to all of us. And if we're going to have a relationship with God and, and lean into him, then it comes with obeying his law. And we saw that even though we all fall short of God's perfect and good law, we have somebody who can help us. We have someone who can close that gap between us and God so that we can walk in obedience to him. And we saw that in Romans chapter 7. And all of that sets us up to look at Romans chapter 8 this week to see how we can find the power to overcome whatever is holding us back in our life. And we're going to do that by considering one more of the major inevitabilities of life. And that is that in this life we are all bound by time. We're all bound by time. And this shows up in, in a lot of different ways. It shows up in our daily life. You know, some things in our life happen fast. And so we, we have to hurry. We, we have to rush. We have to catch up. We have to, to get there because we ran out of time. Judging by when some of you walked in the building this morning, you ran out of time. You, you had to hurry. This morning happened a little too fast. But there are other things that happen slow. And we have to wait and we get impatient, or we get frustrated, or we lose hope, or we lose interest. Because in this life, sometimes things happen slow. Sometimes things feel fast and slow at the same time. Like summer is about done, and the kids are about to go off back to school. In some ways, I'm like, man, I just blinked my eyes, and it was done. On the other hand, I'm like, boy, howdy, it's time for school to start. So, so we, we all have this relationship with time in our daily lives, don't we? We also are bound to this idea of time in, in terms of our lifetime. So every one of us has a story. Every one of us has an arc to the story of our lives that includes a past and a present and a future. And part of being a healthy person is having a healthy perspective on our past, on our present, and our future. But that can be challenging, can't it? That can be challenging because sometimes we live too much in one or the other. Sometimes we live too much in our past. 
Either we're stuck in regrets for choices that we've made or actions that we've taken, or we're reliving the glory of better days that have gone by. We're stuck in our past. Now, I don't know if I'm going to regret admitting this, but, but one of the movies that our family just watches again from time to time, if it's been too long, we just know, oh, it's time to pop in Napoleon Dynamite. So if you're a Napoleon Dynamite person, you get it, sort of. Uh, but one of the characters in Napoleon Dynamite is Uncle Rico. And, and what does Uncle Rico do? Uncle Rico wants to go back to 1982. Because Uncle Rico lives in a van out in a field, and, and if he could only go back to 1982 and have the chance to be the starter in the state high school football championship, then he knows they would have won state and his life would be different. Uncle Rico is living too much in the past. And sometimes we do the same thing, don't we? Hard to have a healthy perspective because we just live too much in the past. Also, we could live too much in the present. Sometimes we, we aren't learning lessons that we should have learned before. We just sort of keep repeating the same patterns in the present that, that if we knew better, if we were learning what we should be learning, we, we wouldn't get so stuck. Or we're neglecting to think about the implications of our actions in the future because we're just living right now in the present. We're not, we're not sort of thinking about the impact that this is going to have on our life. And this is the prevailing message of our culture, isn't it? Just about every commercial on TV appeals to this desire to live in the present. Take advantage of our low, low APR so you can live your dreams today. Don't think about the impact that it's going to have on the future. Sometimes we live too much in the present. Other times we struggle to have a healthy perspective in terms of the story of our life because we live too much in the future. Maybe we're chasing some unrealistic dream. Or maybe we're living in fear of the future and we're just, we're trapped in, in fear and, and sort of paralyzed because we're afraid of what the impact of our actions is going to be on the future. And that can be a way to live with an unhealthy perspective. Whatever that is, it's hard to have a healthy perspective in terms of the time in the story of our lives. But have you ever had an experience where you were able to step back and gain a new perspective because you see the big picture? And have you ever experienced how that changes things? You know, one of the challenges that we have in, in, in sort of getting stuck in life is that we don't see the big picture. And so that's why these moments are so helpful for us. We, we can sort of back up, see from a different perspective, see the bigger picture, and that can change everything for us. And I think that's the essence of what we find in Romans chapter 8. Now, this is a big chapter. Not only are there a lot of verses in this chapter, but scholars, people who've given their lives to studying the Bible, uh, many of them would agree this chapter, Romans 8, is one of the very high points in all of the Bible. I've told you that so the section, Romans 5 through 8, is regarded in that way, and it, most especially Romans 8. Some call it the great 8 because it gives us God's perspective on our lives. We find out in this chapter what God has done in the past, what God is doing in the present, what God will do in the future, and how that can change your perspective and mine if we have discovered life with God. If we have come to Him in a relationship with Him, what He has done, His past, present, and future can change 
ours. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So could I invite you to turn in a Bible to Romans chapter 8? If you've got one with you, you can open up. If not, there's one in the pew in front of you, uh, underneath the pew there. Uh, Or you could turn it on on your phone or device or whatever you've got. Uh, But we're going to look at several verses in Romans chapter 8. We won't look at all of them, but we're going to sort of pull out this idea of God's timetable. And we're going we're to see how his perspective can help change yours and mine. So the first thing we want to see is what God has done in the past. We're going to see what God has done in the past. And it unfolds right in the opening verses of this chapter. Romans 8.1 begins like this. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because... Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so if we understand this first in the context, we realize that in Romans 5, 6, and 7, we've been introduced to this idea that the fundamental problem in the world And with each of us is this little thing called sin. And it's this desire to run away from God, to serve our own desires and do our own thing. And that's sin and it wrecks everything and it has this power over us. But what God has done in the past is he sent his son Jesus to take the penalty of sin, which is death. He died on a cross so that you and I and anybody who comes to him who is in Christ Jesus can be set free, can be broken. It says God condemned sin in the flesh so that you and I can be free of condemnation. So because of what God has done in the past, there is now no condemnation. Nothing that you have done in your past can condemn you before God if you have received the spirit of life from Christ Jesus. And some of us just need to stop and take that in, don't we? Because we get so stuck living in the past, condemning ourselves over and over again for something that we've done that we just can't break free from. But because of what God has done in the past, you can be free of that condemnation. He set us free. And it also means that in being set free, we receive what the Scripture says is the spirit of life. He describes it further down in the chapter in verse 15 as the spirit of sonship or adoption. Look in verse 15. He says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Other translations call it the spirit of adoption. So not only has God's action in the past set us free from condemnation. It's allowed us to receive the spirit of adoption as a child of God, which breaks that pattern of fear. Fear of consequences from the past, fear of the future. No longer are we enslaved to that because of what God has done in the past. And all of this is true for those in verse 1 where it says, for those who are in Christ Jesus is just another way of saying those who've discovered life with God, those who have found forgiveness of our sin and freedom, that's those who are in 
Christ Jesus. And that may be you this morning. You may be in Christ Jesus. You have asked for forgiveness of your sins. You're a follower of Christ. And you need to know and be reminded and be encouraged and be built up and be challenged by what God has done in the past, present, and future. You may be here and that's not you. You're not in Christ, and you know it, and you're hearing these things, and maybe you come again and again, and you're exploring, you're weighing, and you're thinking, what does this mean for my life? Do I really believe these things? And if that's you, I would invite you to consider what God has done in the past, present, and future, and how you can discover life with God, and what difference that can make in your life. So God has acted in the past to free us from condemnation and to give us his spirit. What is God doing in the present? What is God doing in the present? In the present, God works in your daily life through his spirit within you. We find this unpacked. Uh, verse, verse 11 is a helpful summary of this. It says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So we have this this indwelling spirit, this spirit of life that we're given is this inner presence of God that transforms us from the inside out. And and we see there's a section beginning in verse 5 where it talks about the mindset that this changes in us. Look in verse 5. It says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so there's a new mindset that God is working in the present in the lives of all who have discovered life with him. And we need to be reminded of this. We need to know what God is up to in our lives if we are open to living according to the Spirit. And it says it can change our mindset. And did you notice what's at the root of the mindset? At the end of verse 5, he says, our minds are set on what the Spirit desires. So Paul lays down this this basic principle of life that, that I know I've found to be true, and I imagine you probably have too, that for the most part, we do what we set our minds on. For the most part, you and I do what we really want to do, what our greatest desires are. Now, there are obviously exceptions where where we're forced to do some things we don't want to do, but for the most part, we have the freedom to make choices and orient our lives around our deepest and strongest desires. And when those desires run away from God and for our own thing are according to what the the scripture here calls the fleshly desires, then that's where our mindset is. Our mindset follows our strongest desires. But those desires can move toward the spirit. And when we move into desiring what the spirit desires, that can be a change in mindset. So what is God doing in the present for those who are in Christ Jesus? He is changing our mindset. And we can cooperate with him by cultivating that mindset that changes our desires in the way that we live. There's another sort of unfolding as we keep going in this little section in verse 6. It says, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Do you notice there's a holistic statement there? The mind of the sinful man, one who is running away from God for our own desires, is itself death. But those who are of the mindset of the Spirit, cultivating that spiritual mindset, that is itself life. 
And this is the help the Spirit gives us. Remember in Romans 7, Paul gave us this very personal sort of articulation of the struggle with this, of this struggle with a spiritual mindset. Remember he said, the law is spiritual. God's good law is spiritual, but I'm not. My, my, even my best desires aren't good enough to do what is right. And here we talk about and we see the help that comes our way for that battle. Our mindset can shift. Our desires begin to shift. And we move into this place of a life-giving relationship with God in our present life. There is help. That's what God is doing in the present by his spirit within all of those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the last thing I want to point out about what God is doing in the present is that he works in your daily life through his spirit in terms of your attitude toward God. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And then jump down to verse 14. There's the contrast. It says, but those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So this fundamental attitude, if if you are not in Christ, or if, if you as a follower of Christ sort of find yourself in a place of yeah, just kind of rebellion and pulling away and then you're sort of in that darker place, you ever notice your attitude toward God? Kind of one of resentment, one of hostility, one of, you know, I don't, I don't know that God is just. I don't know if that's fair. i just just questioning him and, and his purposes and is this really right? And there's this fundamental attitude that comes along with sort of being controlled by the flesh and sort of in this worldly mindset. But the spiritual mindset has a whole different attitude toward God. And it's one of being a son or a child of God. And there's a relationship there that has intimacy and love and acceptance and grace. And sometimes we get twisted up in this, don't we? Sometimes we feel like God's attitude toward us has changed. When we know what we've done. We know where we're at sort of in our mindset and we kind of keep our distance from God because we feel like his attitude toward us has changed. But the good news is it hasn't. What God is doing in the present is not responding to you in some petty give and take way. What God is doing in the present is continually inviting you and me to receive the help of his spirit to have our desires changed, our mindset changed, to have our attitude shifted and transformed. I don't know about you, but sometimes I show up in church feeling like, I'm really far from God. It's gonna, I feel like God's gonna strike me with lightning for singing some of the songs that we sing because, oh, it's just not true of me. And and that causes me to kind of wanna take a step back and almost hide like, you know, I'm just going to hope God doesn't really think about what, what I'm saying because he's going to expose how hypocritical I really am. But, but the reality of our relationship with God could not be more different. You can come to a service like this in a place like that and say, you know what, I'm here to have my mindset reoriented. Like, okay, in this moment, I want to re- receive from God. I want my desires to change. I want to experience that life-giving relationship. I, want, I need my attitude to change. I know my attitude stinks right now toward God and everybody else, but my attitude can change, and I want, to, I want to move into that space right now. And just know that what God is doing in the present is continually inviting us into that transformation.
So God has acted in the past. So there's no condemnation. There's the spirit within us. God is moving and acting in the present to invite us into the work of transforming our lives by the spirit. And oh my goodness, what we see in this chapter about what God is going to do in the future. And this is what changes everything. If you've been around Christ Church much, you hear Mike Woodruff say it a lot. Eternity changes everything. What God will do in the future, if you are in Christ Jesus, changes everything. And the first thing I want to point out, it's in verse 18. God will reveal his glory in you. Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So whatever you're suffering in this life, whatever battle you're facing in this life, whatever struggle you're having in this life with your past or present or future, none of it is even worth comparing with the glory that God has in store for everyone who has discovered life with him. And we don't have time I'm bound by time in this sermon. We don't have time to get into all of what it, what it unfolds there. But just in the following verses, what does it mean that God's going to reveal his glory? It includes freedom from all corruption. Anything that is, that is a stain in your life, you're free from it. It's the redemption of our bodies, sort of a perfection of our physical bodies. Maybe that means we're all going to look like we spend 20 hours a week at CrossFit. I hope so. He's going to reveal his glory in freeing you and me from all corruption and a perfection even of our physical bodies. Another thing he's going to do, he will work all things together for your good. Romans 8, 28, one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. It says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And in the verses following that, it talks about how before the beginning of time, God foreknew you and predestined you and drew you to himself to transform you and then ultimately glorify you through his own glory. God works all things, all things, hard things, tragic things, great things, little things, small things, things today, things yesterday, things in your childhood, things in your future, all things he works together for your good and that's part of how he's revealing his glory that's what God will do in the future and then a third thing he will give you all things he will give you all things look at verse 32 it says he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. So the logic is that God's already given his most precious relationship, his own son. He acted in the past to give his life so that we can have a relationship with him. And because he's already given the most valuable thing in the world, in the universe, everything else comes along with it. And, and this, is, this is a mind-blowing thing. I have no idea what this means. I can't wrap my mind around it. You can't wrap your mind around it. Look at how it says in verse... In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 through 22, it says, All things are yours, whether the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Elsewhere in Romans 8, this relationship with God is framed in terms of an heir. So if you have discovered life with God, if you are in Christ Jesus, then you are an heir of all that God possesses. And what do heirs receive? 
They receive the full inheritance. So everything that God owns and possesses, he will give to you. He will give to me. He will give to all who are in Christ Jesus. And you go, I don't even know how that can be. I don't either. But that's the promise. What will God do in the future? He's going to reveal his glory. He will work all things together for your good, and he will give you all things. God has a storyline. There is an arc to the story of what God is doing in the past, in the present, and in the future. And if we allow it, if we lean into it, if we discover it, then that can change everything about our perspective on our own past and present and future. And so I want to stop and ask you, How's your perspective? How's your perspective on your life in relation to life with God? I think if we're all honest, we all came in here today stuck somewhere. Stuck somewhere in our past, stuck somewhere in our present, stuck somewhere in our thoughts about the future. And I want you to identify that. Can can you just sort of in your own mind, just think about, all right, what, what is it that just frustrates you? you? You might know a lot about God. You may have walked with him a long time. You may come to church regularly. You may do all the right things. But, but where are you just, you know what? I, is this it? I think that sometimes. I'm like, I, sh- I should feel different. Like, I should grasp more. There's something missing, and, and it's just, it's kind of a frustration for me. I wonder what that is for you and if you can identify that and just hold that in your mind for a second right now. And I want to talk about two spiritual skills that I think emerge in this chapter that that will help us reconcile our past and present and future with God's past, present, and future. And the first is the spiritual skill of waiting. Of waiting. You know, some of us, when we think about God's timetable, we think it's kind of slow. It falls in the category of things that just aren't happening fast enough. Like you may have, even you're hearing me speak today and you're like, all that stuff about God working in the present to sort of change my mindset and change my attitude. Yeah, I wish he would kind of pick it up because it's not really happening in a way that I can perceive. Sometimes we think things are moving too slow, but, but the weight of the whole second, second half of chapter 8, and I hope you'll go home and read this, is an invitation to wait. Verses 22 and 23 kick this off. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. And so there's this reality that there's kind of a groaning. There, there's, there's, there's a waiting that we are in right now. And we need to know that that's part of the timetable. Don't, don't be so frustrated and try to rush God and lack faith in his timetable because by nature, by definition, we're called to wait. And there's so much in this chapter that, again, we don't have time to unfold about perspectives on waiting for God to work. But I want to move into this second spiritual skill that I think can help us, can can change our perspective, can give us some grounding as we wait. And it's the skill of listening. And specifically, learning how to listen to God. 
Because we might know a lot of things about God, and that's good. But if we fail to learn how to communicate with God in the waiting, in our present, in our future, then we've missed it. We've missed what God is inviting us into. He's inviting us into a relationship. And it's one of intimate communication through his spirit. This is the gift that he has given. You know, one of the greatest privileges in my life is to be called dad. So when I go home every day from work or, or come in the door, you know, the kids coming running up, they're, they're at an age where they say, dad, dad. And how do I respond? With my boys, hey, buddy, hey, dude. Those are my words for them. What do I say when my girls come up? Hey, babe, how was your day? It's my word for them. Sometimes it's, it's a different dynamic. Sometimes it's dad. And my response is appropriately shifting. What, buddy? Or, yeah, babe, what now? Sometimes it's dad. Yeah, dude. What, babe? And even in that little exchange, there's this acknowledgement of relationship in all kinds of ways. They don't even think. They just come to dad. Why? Because in their minds, dad's got control of the past and the present and the future. So I'm going to go to dad. And I accept them. And, 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 I, and I respond to them in a way that affirms that relationship that they can come to me. Now, it's not perfect, but it's real. And, and it's a daily communication. And I think that's something like what we're invited to experience with God if we will take the time to listen. Look at two verses in the heart of this chapter. Verses 15 and 16. And, and this is your invitation. And I want you to keep that thing in your mind. Keep that, keep that frustration. Keep that thing in your mind that, that you just, you have a struggle to overcome and bring that here. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is just a, a transliteration of an Aramaic word that's the most intimate form of communication with a father. It's like saying, Dad. It's an invitation of that kind of relationship with God, and that's what we would bring to him. And this verse 16 talks about his response. In response, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Is that remarkable? Like we're called to come to God and be like, Dad, Dad, Dad. And he'll respond. It says the Spirit himself testifies within your spirit if you are in Christ that yes, you are God's child. And I want to take some time to do that right now because some of us don't know how to do it. Some of us would never make space to do this. And some of us don't know what to do if we did make space. And so this is what we're going to do. In, in the next two or three minutes, I'm going to invite you to take of a bit of a risk. I'm going to invite you to call out to God. Just in your own spirit, in your own heart, from your own soul. And, and whatever that word is for you, whether it's dad or, or papa or something else. And I realize that for some of you, that's a, 
another layer difficult because your earthly father was not that kind of a dad. But I want to invite you to take a risk and step out in faith and trusting that God is a good and loving father who will respond by his spirit to you in this moment if you are his child. And if you've not come to him before, this would be a moment where you could crawl out to him as father, confessing your sin and asking him to embrace you as his own. So I'm going to invite Siler to come up. He's just going to play a little bit of music so, so it's not totally dead quiet in here. And I'm going to take literally two minutes. I want to give you space. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Hold in your mind that thing that you need power to overcome. And I want you to bring it to God and say, Dad, Abba, Father, here it is. And then I just want you to listen. I want you to listen for his spirit to speak to you in this moment. And I believe that he will. Not only on the authority of the Bible, but in my own experience, when we make space and we listen for God, invite his spirit to speak to you right now in this moment. And then we're going to move into the Lord's Supper as another expression of responding to his spirit. Before we do that, let me pray. Lord, in this moment... Collectively, we're stepping out in faith and crying out to you and asking you to speak to us. And so I ask that you would do that to each individual in this room, no matter where he or she is. Open our ears, open our minds, and we just plead with you by your spirit. Speak. Because we're listening. Amen.